Hey there, take me to you reader listeners. This is Seth. Thank you for listening. Unfortunately, this week we had some trouble with our recording equipment, and so the sound quality is what you tend to get when you're just recording through laptop speakers. So I hope you'll bear with us, and we'll try and get things squared away for the next episode. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy this one despite the sound quality. Thanks. Yeah, but your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could that they didn't stop to think if they should. Hold on to your butts. Dodson! Dodson! We've got Dodson here! Dr. Grant. My dear Dr. Sutton. Welcome to Jurassic Park. Welcome also to the madhouse that we call Take Me to Your Reader, the podcast where we discuss adapted science fiction at its best and worst. I'm Seth. I'm James. And I'm Colin. And this special edition, James wants to call Take Me to Your Reader After Dark. Because for some reason we decided, yeah, you know, it's going to be 10 o'clock before we get started, but let's do it anyway. Um, we have a special guest today that Colin is going to introduce us to. That's our little in-room mascot that looks like a T-Rex, because we are talking today about Jurassic Park. And we're going to be talking about the 1990 book and the 1993 film, which, you know, I think... <clears throat> Sort of the thing that we did when we started doing this was we were going to do classic films, but to me, Jurassic Park, at this point, yeah. is like a modern classic, I think. I mean, I saw it with my wife before I married her, so, and that was a long time ago. Right, it is like 20 plus years ago. It makes it classic. I agree. And it made a billion dollars. That helps, too. That is quite handy, especially for the people involved in making the movie. Yeah. What I think is kind of fun about this time is um, we decided to do it because of the OMSI... Real science, R E E L, and that's the Oregon Museum of Science and Industry. Just on the off chance that somebody that we don't directly know and right. isn't from Oregon, uh, Philistines. Yeah, um, but they did. They screened Jurassic Park and had a paleontologist in there talking about paleontology and his gripes with the movie. And so we might hit a little bit of that. But we all read the book. We all saw the movie together last week. Uh, my son also came to it with us, and Colin, the kids have recently seen it. Yep. So be curious to hear some of the impressions that they had. But at the same time as it was coming to OMSI, it's like the 21st anniversary or something of it coming out, and so it's been making a lot of, not headlines, but it's been getting onto a lot of blogs, and so there's um, there's like a Mental Floss or a Nidorama, 20 things you may not know about Jurassic Park, and several several other such items, and uh, so uh, we put some of those in the show notes, so. Cool. Well, and the fourth movie. That's right, Jurassic World <clears throat> is going to be coming out. And so at some point, uh, Probably toward the end, we'll want to talk a little bit about the sequels, the legacy yeah. of the movie. You know, I don't think we're going to worry too much about spoiling things either, because it's, you know, at a billion dollars, we figured that almost everyone has seen it, because you would have all had to have seen it to, you know, inflate the ticket sales that high. Yeah. Uh, right. It's been out on DVD, it's been on TV. Yeah, it's been out forever. Well, and, you know, we'll definitely be doing some spoiling. We're not going to do, like, a plot synopsis, just because I think everybody, I, I'm expecting right. anybody listening to this has seen the movie, and maybe read the book. And one of our guiding principles here is we wanted to encourage people to go back and read books that some of these awesome movies are based on. Yeah. Um, and in this case, I think there's probably more people who have read it than generally is, has been true. Um, because we've done a lot of short stories and that kind of stuff. Like, or old enough movies that people might be aware of the films, but not aware of the, the, the books behind them. Yeah. Yeah. So, we'll talk some about the differences and which we preferred. We can actually sort of rank them this time. I mean, there's only two, but we can say what we preferred. Yeah. Will this be a movie that you like better than the book? Do we want to start with just sort of general impressions from all of us on what we thought, or do we want to wait on that to later? 
general impressions of both. Of both? I mean, since, since we're not going to be doing much in the way of right. plot summaries. Plot summaries, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so the, everyone should have the basics. The idea <clears> that uh, there's a guy building a park on an island. It's from genetically cloned dinosaurs. The dinosaurs are all supposed to be female. We find out that they're breeding. And then someone's trying to steal things. I'm doing a plot summary. And uh, right. uh, because he's stealing it, he, and he's the guy that built the software for the island, he shuts down all of the fences and all the security measures. Oh, and then while he escapes, he dies, and so there's no one to turn it back on. Chaos ensues, and a certain number of people escape the island. There you go. There you go. This just proves you, can, you, you can't stop a colony from doing a plot summary. <laughs> summary but you but can it, only hope to contain it. But it was short. Yes. Very brief. Okay, very, very nice. So just general impression. I'm assuming we all saw this in the theater when it, in first run. Yes. Yep. Because um, even James was old enough for right. it to be awesome. Um, awesome. Well, yes. you, were, you were probably old enough for it I to be incredibly awesome. You were like 12, right? 13. I saw it in the summer of 93. Yeah, yes, I, I, I remember. Believe, I believe we all did. Yes, since that's when it was. Oh, the right, too shame. <laughs> yes, um, I, I, I took my, my, my wife. <laughs> Which would have made me thirteen at that point. Just saying. Okay. No, my wife and I. Uh, my wife and I were dating at that time, and I took her to that, and she clawed my arm because it was nice. intense. Movie. <laughs> Saw it on the seventy awesome. millimeter screen at uh, Fireweed Cinemas in Anchorage. Mm. Yeah, good stuff. I had not read the book before I saw the movie. I saw the movie first, and then oh, subsequently okay. read the book. Hmm. Same with everybody. Nope. You I read had, the book first? I had read the book first. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Uh, you look like the little reader now. I was. It came out when you were like 10. What yeah. happened? <laughs> Alcohol. Alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> and video games, right? Right. I don't Xbox. remember what I did first. I had a friend that was into Michael Crichton, but I probably watched the movie first and then read the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't, um, I, I don't think I discovered Michael Crichton until like 1994, 1995. Um, in terms of the oh, books, because I, I, we talked about it when we were doing timeline. But my right. sister had a shelf full of them, and I read all of them that she had in one summer. And I think Jurassic Park is one of the books. So. Okay. Um, so to me, uh, the book is really good, and, and I read it after the movie. And maybe this is one of those cases where right. the thing that I saw first is the thing that is kind of a true story to me. But I remember, um, you know, I love the movie. Mm-hmm. And I remember really enjoying the book. But I think right. enough time had passed between seeing the film and reading the book that the book just sort of reminded me of the movie, and so all the extra detail that was there was sort of just the cherry on top of the pie. Um, and so, yeah, that, that first time through, I loved the book, I loved the movie, I don't think I could have told you which I liked better. It may have been, that there might have been like a recency bias, where I'm like, well, I read the book recently, so I like it. But, right. but I've seen the movie a number of times since then, and I think at this point, with this reread, I felt like it, the book was good, but I don't think it bears up really well under rereading. Mm. Maybe we can discuss some of that. And I guess at this point, so I'm, I'm going to say that I prefer the movie. I, I think the book is good to great, and the movie is just fantastic. Right. So, As a movie, I think it's fantastic. Yeah. I, I think the book's better. In fact, okay. I remember. I remember that I read the book first because I went and watched the movie, and I was disappointed that they didn't have the pteranodon scene. Right. Yes. There are no flying dinosaurs. Yeah, right. so. Although here we are, you know, twenty-five years later, and I'm like, yeah, you know, given the limited budget and time of a movie, mm-hmm. I didn't need it. It didn't really do anything to drive the plot. Right. Uh, it was there to scare you, and you know, kind of. Yeah. So let, let's get back to some of those other things that weren't in the movie well, that you might look for. And, and since he there. mentioned it, uh, I kind of I felt the same way too about the missing the pterodactyls, mm-hmm. and I was excited that they had included the pterodactyls in the Lost World, the sequel. Right. I remember being like, oh, I finally get to see a Right, and, and that's I, one of those things we talked about, is that some of the 
scenes that are missing from Jurassic mm -hmm. Park film, yeah. but that are in the book, migrated right. to the Lost World film. And I remember reading back when, back then, when they, when they made the movie, that they had a lot more content included in it, but it made it so long that they cut all of it out for the actual release. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they didn't do like the extended releases like they've done with Harry Potter and right, Lord no, of the Rings since yeah. then. Which so they it, should. It would have totally been interesting do. if they did. And they'd make it like a three-hour Jurassic Park movie, but they'd have all the other dinosaurs that you miss. Well, so and we'll talk about some of the kind of technical achievement of the film. And the fact is that the kind of effects that they used to do the pterodactyls or whatever they were, mm -hmm. um, they would have had to pretty much been a hundred percent CG. Right. True. Yeah. They wouldn't work the electronics or yeah. That would have amped up the budget quite a bit. So, but I like the way I just watching some of the behind the scenes stuff and, and what they did with the effects where they mixed practical and, and CG. Mm -hmm. Really cool. So back to general impressions. Yeah. Back to general impressions. Uh, Tell us, James. Oh yes. Well, so I bet talk about the pterodactyl scene. Missed mm -hmm. that part. I did miss that when I uh, from reading the book and going to watch the movie. Mm -hmm. uh, but I got the impression that the I, I really really like the movie. Mm -hmm. um, I probably gonna have to side with Seth. It's that I might like the movie better. Ooh, yeah. Just because everything is it's very it's driven the entire time. It's it's more it's very tight. Right. Yeah. It's very tight. It's a more succinct storyline. Uh, it doesn't drag in the same parts that the book does, mm -hmm. which might make it a difficult read for the second time around. Yeah, that um, was that was kind of my impression. Was some of the technical detail that's very rewarding the first time you read it, right? And you're going back to read it. You're like, I already know this. Right. I, I don't need to know all the ins and outs. I, and I think at all the uh, right <laughs> and all the all the points in the movie where they did kind of streamline everything. Mm -hmm. It made sense the way they did. Like you talked previously about the way they introduced Ned, Nedry and Dodge in that whole scene. Yeah. You got Dodge and stories right there. Instead. Yeah. You know? And that's and, that's kind yeah. of my impression is, is whatever they whatever cuts they made, whatever changes they made, mm -hmm. I look at them and I'm like, well, those all worked. I think the only possible disappointing part would have been all the extra dimensions or characteristics of all the characters that they left out. Like they, they kind of numbed, numbed them all down to Nedry's a greedy bastard and he died. I was in the book, though. Yeah, I'm, I'm, it, it was, but in the book, he had this whole plan, like very intricate and timed, and it was it seemed pretty cool, actually. Right, and, and then in the you, movie, you like, mm, because he, I'm he, not sure that his plan in the movie makes sense. Right, um, and in the book, it does, and it in does. the movie, it, what's the end? There's no end game there. So the storm. Let, let's let's so let's back up. Let's. I, I think we're done with general impressions, right? We, we all like both, and it's. Right. it's a, it's just a matter of figuring out. I don't know, Colin didn't give us a thumbs up. Oh, yeah, he did. I did. Yeah. I, yeah, I like, I like the book right. better, and here I'm going to floor you guys. Oh, so hold on to your butts. Okay. Hold on to your butts. Hold on to your butts. <laughs> uh, as an adaptation, uh -huh. I think the changes made a great movie. Okay. I think if you'd left too much in, it would have dragged. Mm -hmm. uh, but And that might have made it as popular as it was, but I would have sat down and watched the whole thing. Like, you know, yeah. I'll, I'll watch, right. enjoy watching all nine or ten hours of The Hobbit when it comes out. Mm -hmm. But that, that's me. Okay, let me pin you down there. Sure, hit me. Because the way you said you, you um, equivocated a little bit there. You said it made a good movie. It did make a good movie. Do you say it's a good adaptation of the book? Yeah. Because there's there's more than one thing, right? You could go, that was a really good movie, but not a very good adaptation of the book. Like World War Z. I like the movie. I like the book. But I don't think it's a very good adaptation. It, it, it diverges really quickly. Whereas Jurassic Park tends to wander in and out. It does. And, and there, there are some things which never converge, just because the characters are different. 
Yes, but it, it right. stays true. Each one stays true to its own course. Oh. If you read the book, yeah, you're going to get that that great scientific background. That's right. you know really good on a first read. I mm -hmm. like it on a second read. Um, but yeah, if you already know it, it's probably really dragging the second time. It's like, oh yeah, kind sure. of been there, done that. Yeah, I think I, like the thousand foot view of the plot of the book is adapted in the movie, and it, it does a little bit of trimming at the beginning and the end. Um, yeah, and then and then most of the core plot, there are some some details missing, like the the Tyrannodon scene and the. The Tyrannosaurus chasing them both. Yeah, mm -hmm. and the two Tyrannosauruses instead of the one. Yes. And then we can make a huge list of them. Right. The thing is, it didn't stop an incredible movie from being made. Sure. Yeah. Um, and really, we, we talked about this just as we were setting up. This is the first, this is the biggest movie we've, we've talked about as adapted fiction. It's a billion dollars for this yeah. movie alone. Not the sequels, not the books, not the comic books, not the video games, yeah. not the not the um, amusement park rides, <laughs> not toys. The, the toys, the merchandising. It's like huge. Yeah. It's huge. It is true. You compare that to the day the Earth stood still. It's just night and day. Right. Well, it, let's do a little background on mm -hmm. the whole thing. Okay. So Michael Crichton has this idea for a book. And mm -hmm. while he's talking about an idea for a television series about an emergency room in Chicago with Steven Spielberg, right. he mentions this to Steven, and Steven says, this is great, you've got to do this. Mm -hmm. uh, before the book is formally released, he says, anyone that wants to adapt it to a movie is going to pay me a million and a half dollars. The three big movie theaters... Uh, movie theaters, uh, studios, yeah. and like Joe Dante and Tim Burton and Steven Spielberg are sitting there chomping at the bit, and we're blessed that Steven Spielberg got it because he did a great job. On yeah, it. Uh, the movie came out; it's gangbusters, it's huge. And Steven Spielberg says, "Mike, I gotta have a sequel because I'm gonna make another one of these." And yeah. so he writes his first ever sequel, and you know it's not ever quite as good as the original, no. but it still span you know spawns another great movie. Which we you might consider go the with. second movie. Okay, yeah, we'll, and let's do it now. Yeah, but the heck, we're not. You know, we we don't have to walk through the plot or anything. We can do it whatever you know. Right. Our podcast, our rules. Besides, nobody listens. Yes. <laughs> well, no, no. We we should review it as a second movie book. But then there's a. Uh, so yeah, after the second book and movie, there's a third movie, and the third movie is the one that is made of all the cuts and pieces out of the books that didn't make into the first two movies. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, and then there's a long drought because. The well, there, there is stuff in the second movie from this book. Yes, definitely. There is? Yes. Uh, specifically now, copy okay, beach let's, scene. Let's, um, we may never get to review The Lost World, Jurassic Park. <laughs> so let's let's talk a little bit about it right now. Okay. So, sure. yeah, the, the, the opening scene in the book is on a beach, mm -hmm. and a little girl gets attacked by copies. And that scene, or... Something like it makes it into mm -hmm. the op it's the opening scene of the second film. Second film, yeah. So okay, I don't remember what else there was. You said the Tyrannodons, the, there right? I thought the Tyrannodons were in the third movie. No, they're in the second one. I think they're in the third one too, though. Yeah. They might be in the third one too. I don't. I don't like I'm, I'm on the same lines as you with the third yeah, one. Yeah, I, I, I don't. Not quite, I don't have a whole lot of details. We kind of tried to go back to the well last two times, and so there's this new movie coming out, Jurassic World, right? And evidently, it will also adapt some parts of the book that were never really adapted. So let, let's talk about a couple of plot points from the book that didn't make it into the film. Sure. Um, one of them is the dinosaurs don't behave like people expect dinosaurs to behave. They're too fast. They're too... Right. And they're, they're, there's a number of characteristics that they have that people stereotypically wouldn't associate with dinosaurs. We want to see them mm -hmm. as slow and lumbering. And Dr. Wu, the doctor who actually kind of came up with the process and, and made it happen right. to clone the dinosaurs wants to engineer the dinosaurs to behave like people expect them to. 
where Hammond thinks, no, 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 they're fine. We just, we brought them back and that's, that's all right. we do. And so, but we wanted to, to change because what, now we've got the process here. We can alter the genetics. That's do whatever we want. We can make them easier to handle as animals in a, in a zoo-like right. environment. We can make them more docile. We can make them more trainable. We can do this. Right. Or we can combine traits of different dinosaurs and make wholly new things. And I think that's where Jurassic World is going to come into it. Where the, the wholly new things. Maybe they'll have the dino chicken. <laughs> the dino chicken. Yeah. Uh, that's a reference to, I can't remember the guy's name. I want to say James Horner. But he's James there. Horner. Is it James Horner? I believe it is. I thought he was a composer. But, um, so Dr. Grant is sort of a fictional representation of, of Dr. Horner, who is an actual archaeologist, and he wants to not do Jurassic Park and bring back dinosaurs from the dead, but he wants to start altering the bird genome to try to recapitulate dinosaur traits in modern birds. And so he wants to make a dino chicken, which sounds delicious. John Jack Horner. Jack, Jack Horner. Okay. Yes. James Horner is probably the composer. He is. He is. My bad. <laughs> okay. And, you know, J names. You keep track of J. Yeah. Not me. You know anybody named James. Just J Ness here. Just J Ness. Yeah, that's right. Um, How did we get up on that? Well, oh, yeah, so, yeah, so <laughs> this idea that, you know, if birds are the descendants of dinosaurs, we should start with a bird to try and recreate a dinosaur. So they want to make a dino chicken, which yes. is, you know, well, big drumsticks. Right. Yeah, what the, what the guy at the talk was, was saying was because the, the bones in wings are the same bones as in hands, it should be possible to reverse engineer hands out of that. Mm -hmm. Whatever genetic code codes for the wings, we ought to be able to pull back and get little dinosaur's hands. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So. And then they'll hate push-ups. Yes, definitely. And those wings are so tasty. So. Nom, nom, nom. Okay, so I'm not sure where we are at this point. We're going we're gonna to have a swirling vortex of entropy. Yes. It, yeah, it's hard to know. I mean, when, when we like everything... Where we do we go? We like it. we like it. like it. It's just chaos theory. Okay. It's chaos theory. Oh, I love the chaos theory he talks. <laughs> I love the monologues that he gives. Yeah, but you can see why those weren't adapted in, in that form for the book. They were condensed, and, the and some of them, they were spread out among some of the other characters. Right. So, like, and Dr. Sadler does a little you know, monologuing of her own. Right. Yes. So, um, let's talk a little bit about the handling of the characters from, from book to film. Because some of them sure. are altered significantly. There's combinations of characters. Uh, so let's kind of go down the line. Um, Hammond. Hammond is very different in the book and in the film. Right. In the book, he's... The, the TV tropes thing that fits him, I think, is jerk-ass. Right? Yeah, evil corporate overlord. <laughs> I mean, not, not necessarily right. evil, but blind. Um, just blind ambition. He, he can do this. He's going to just dump a bunch of money in it. And he's, I was going to say delusional in there. Yeah, delusional. Towards the oblivious. end, he became very delusional. In my opinion. He did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and blind to any faults. <clears throat> right. He's never he's never convinced essentially that the park is a failure. Right. And even in the movie that does come out at some point, and Ellie, yeah. Doctor Sadler, tells him the illusion was that there was ever control. If you got like towards the end of the movie though, when Grant comes out, he's like. Uh, I've decided, well, yeah, I've decided not to go to your park, and he's like, "Yeah, I agree with you." And right. That it, it the his realization does occur in the movie. It does, but then the movie too exists, and so that kind of throws that out a little bit because yeah. Site B exists. Yeah, right. Well, so I think Site B was built um, in concurrently. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that doesn't really have anything to do with. But this. so in in the film, he's a little more grandfatherly, a little more likable, mm -hmm. a little um, more eccentric. Yeah, a bit more not eccentric. not such a jerk. 
Yes, and a little more sensitive. You know, he, he still has his faults, definitely. Oh, sure. I mean, he's, he's still ambitious and a little oblivious. Yeah, but I think his ambition is dulled to his obliviousness. You know, he yeah. really wants to build this cool thing. Yes. Um, and he, he wants to uh, build this, this awesome park where all the children of the world can come and see dinosaurs, because what kid wouldn't want to go see dinosaurs? Right, and, and in the movie there's the, the point where the, the lawyer says, you know, we can charge anything we want, and, and he says, We're not, this is not going to be a park that only caters to the super rich. Where in the book, there's nothing like that. Yes. It is, yes. We, we are here to make, make all money. Of money. Buckets of money. Yes. Uh, uh, it's a wonderful performance yeah. in the film. Oh, yeah. By Richard Richard Adler. Adler. Richard Yeah, Adler. he was awesome. You often wonder if there was some kind of a family argument about, you know. So David Attenborough is the famous voiceover guy for nature movies. Yeah, right. naturalist. Kind of. And uh, the voiceover guy for Jurassic Park is Richard Kiley. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll spare no expense. <laughs> right, yeah, might be an in-joke. He'll jab at his brother. So, uh, we talked about that spare no expense thing, which which it's it's a recurring meme throughout the film. He says it a number of times. Right. I think it was six, but it could be just five. It was more than the two that I said and yes. blamed you for being wrong. So well, yeah. stand up, man. It, it, movie quotes. You're going to lose most of the time against me. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Although I did figure out why I thought it was two. There are two times where it stands out as a direct statement as, as opposed to being kind of in dialogue. Yes. Yeah, it, it's almost like a verbal tick. It, and he says it a few times and it's it's just it's part of his language. Yeah. Character consolidation. We have, in the book, we have a lot more backstory on Gennaro, the lawyer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In, in the film, he's just sort of introduced as, I'm here to investigate. Right. And, and he, he appears in more than one place, right? He goes to the mine, which we never see in the book, as far as I know. I know, that was pretty no. cool. Yeah, that was good. I like the mine. Yeah. And, um, Even though it wasn't in the book. Yeah. <laughs> and it's an actual mine, apparently, which is pretty cool. Um, but there's a character in the book called Ed Regis, and Gennaro, right. the lawyer, and are kind of combined. They're, yeah. they're definitely combined. Yeah. Because he's the coward who runs out of the car right. and abandons. I remember liking Gennaro a lot in the book. And yes. In the movie, I'm like, mm, Gennaro, nah. in, the, in the movie, he's totally worthless. Yeah, totally. Right. Where in the book, he, he's, yeah, he's likable. Right. But I think Gennaro in the book, he, he stands up more for what he, he what he wants. He's not spineless. Yeah. But in the in the movie, he's, he's switching from, he's coming to the park, he's, oh, they're going to shut you down, John. And then he sees the diaries. Like, oh, we're gonna he sees dollar sign. He 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 waffles throughout the movie. Yes, uh, I won't say he's fine. Doesn't quite happen. You totally hear his spine snap when the T Rex hits him. So. <laughs> Touche. Which is a great scene. Oh okay. I mean, yeah. I mean, who, who doesn't love seeing a lawyer on a coat getting eaten by a dinosaur? I think I saw. I think I found some Gennaro here. I think I found some over here too. <laughs> and they're like fifteen feet apart from one another. So the the uh, paleontologist archaeologist that came to talk to us, and I'm gonna apologize if I mispronounce your name, was Dr. Greg Ritalik. From the University of Oregon. Right. Hailing from Australia. So and, yep. Awesomely awesome accent. Right. So Grant Grant and Dr. Sattler in the book are not a couple. He's, he's an older right. professor, essentially, and she's like an understudy. Like Jack Horner. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And whereas then in the film, there's a romantic connection there. They're both young. Well, he's younger. Um, in the book, he's gray hair with a beard and a potluck. Movie, not so much. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's not exactly an action star. It's Sam Neill. Sam Neill, right? Uh, who I really like, even though his accent totally comes out a couple times. Yeah. But when they're at the fence, there's one thing that he said that I'm like, wow, that was Australian. Right. But um, one other movie I remember him in is the third Jurassic Park movie, and then Event Horizon. On for Red October. Red October, he was bored. He was on the Merlin series on Sci-Fi. No, 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 no. He was in a Merlin movie. 
dreadful. Yeah. Oh, right, yes. Oh, but no, he's the, I would Quite. like to assume Montana, right, in Number October. Oh, nice. He's been in quite a bit of stuff. Dead Calm. Um, yeah, no. But he's always that dude from Jurassic Park. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I agree. But yeah, so there's that. Which isn't a bad thing. place to be, but just saying. The other added element for for the film is that he doesn't have kids. You know, some of them smell. Right. <laughs> it's a great one. They smell! The yeah. teenagers. Yeah. Yeah. Or do they? Yeah. Um, and so that gives him a nice character arc in the film where mm-hmm. he doesn't like kids, but he very courageously shepherds these kids through the park when everything goes bad. Yeah. And and it it, just, it gives them some place to go. It gives his character some range. So I really like that change for the film. That's good. I mean, Grant's a likable character in the book. It has a little bit too much kind of action hero stuff. You know, he's he's he figures out a way to kill the raptors. Right. And I much prefer the, the the way the raptor scenes works in the film. So Kind of oh, at the end, they're chasing through the complex and he right. uses the poisons right, right. or whatever that they find. Yeah. The neuro, yeah, the, uh, the neurotoxins. Hematoxins. Or yeah. It poisons the eggs and then baits the raptors into eating the eggs. Yeah. So. But they learn. Right. Right. Yeah, well, they're very smart. Speaking of which, we'll have to post, post the uh, how it should have ended. Because it shows just how smart the raptors are. Right. They're quite smart. <laughs> okay. you know, it, the ending is pretty significant. Oh, we should talk more about characters. Yeah, I'm not sure. Well, uh, the kids. The kids. So the kids are reversed in age. Yeah. So, so the, right. the sister is older, and she's the computer the who can recognize it's a unique system. Oh, yeah. It's an interactive CD-ROM. I love that. Like the whole crowd in Portland <laughs> laughed because right. because that was so quaint. Um, 1993. Yes. That wasn't even top of the line. Then, I don't think, was it? Interactive CD-ROM with a touchscreen screen. It was a touch screen, I guess, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that but was... I remember CD-ROMs being introduced when I was in junior high, and as storage devices in libraries. Yes. So, oh, right. Yeah. Big time. Yeah, we had books when we were kids. <laughs> On paper? Yeah. And we had card catalogs. Mm-hmm. Card catalogs. Oh, yeah. I do remember card catalogs. I helped digitize the card catalog for Cottage Grove Library. Nerd! Yes. <laughs> nice. The computers were so old, you could type, like, five cards in advance and wait for it to catch up to you. Ouch. <laughs> wow. Brutal. Did you talk about Saturday yet? Uh, briefly mentioned oh, it, so you, you can comment. Well, I was just going to say she's older than she was. Is she? Well, she's the same age as Grant, right? And she definitely has more to do. No, I think she seems, I think she seems like she's older than me. Like, at least late 20s and early 30s, I suppose. In yeah. the book, she was an undergrad. Like a college student. Yeah, yeah. Like early 20s. Post-grad yeah. Plus, in, in the in the movie, you have her going up and turning on the power instead of yes, Grant, right? Yeah. So that that part. Yes, yeah, I, I approved of that, and I liked I liked the way they approached it. Where mm-hmm. when she was going to do it, Hammond was like, "Well, it should really be me because I'm a dude, right? Because you know? yeah. <laughs> I'm a <laughs> just give me the stuff and decide you're triple." But um, sure. yeah, so I was you glad that she kind of got that action scene. Now she she was involved in some of those, like she created a distraction in the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and then the raptors were all sneaky, pretending to take the bait, and then eating people, lots of eating people. Yeah, um, those dinosaurs were really hungry. It's because of their lysine deficiency. Right. Yes. Let's see if I can get lysine. This guy. Nope. How about this guy? Nope. How about this guy? Nope. Yeah. <laughs> so Dang it. interesting. Uh, th- there are some dangling plot threads in the film, and one of them is the lysine deficiency, because that that is followed out right in the book. How they would deal with that. Yes, um, and and should they escape from the island, how they mm-hmm. how they deal with that? And of course, the designers of the park don't think the dinosaurs are smart enough to figure out how to get around that. 
but they're bred without the ability to to create lysine. And and they can't create lysine. They find alternate sources of it. Yes. Yes. Um, and the, the other thing, what was it? Oh, the, the sick triceratops. So that was that was one thing we we've talked about it uh, on one of our recent pagan comments. Yeah. That in the book, it's pretty much explained exactly why that triceratops right. is sick. But there's that triceratops that's sick, and then there's the other brachiosaur that the girl says it looks like he has a cold. cold. So it's almost indicating that there's some sort of something going on in the park that really isn't ever talked about. One of the themes that comes up is this idea that it's ridiculous to think that you can transplant these animals millions of years into our Mm -hmm. environment and expect them to do well. Although the archaeologist said that he thought they would do, the paleontologist, (laughs) said he thought they would do well in modern days. Um, So one of the amusing... Well, I don't see why they wouldn't. I mean, in theory, they would just adapt, just as anyone else would. Yeah. Well, they would adapt or die. Right. So, um, but yeah, it's our, our climate isn't that different from from there. I mean, it's a few degrees one way or the other, and in you know, Costa Rica, sure. where they were supposed to be. Yeah, they'd be right at home in Louisiana. Yeah, <laughs> they can have Louisiana. Yeah, right. So one of the things, one of the gripes that the paleontologist had was that to make a truly Jurassic Park, the terrain should be quite different than, oh, right. than what you see yes. in the movie. Because well, you'd have to start with the time of Jurassic. Dinosaurs first. Exactly, yeah. Because we have more Cretaceous dinosaurs. Right. Right? All the dinosaurs in the movie are Cretaceous dinosaurs. Yeah, but Jurassic sounds so cool. It does sound cooler. Cretaceous, I mean, Cretaceous Park. Park. Cretaceous Park. Yeah. No. no. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't have the same ring to it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he talked about how grass is more recent than dinosaurs in terms of the history of the Earth. So, right. Um, so, the, so the, he did bring up four differences. So yes. one was they were Cretaceous instead of Jurassic. Or actually there was a mix of them. Right, there was a mix of Cretaceous, I think he mentioned Triassic. Probably. Yeah, and I don't, I don't remember the... Yeah. I wish we had his slides. Oh, that would be cool. There was a misspelling yeah. album that was cracking me up. Uh, the word soft was spelled S F O T. And the second thing was, yeah, the environment was quite a bit different. There was no grass, and yet one of the big iconic scenes is the... The big grasslands where the... stampede. The stampede happens with the ornithopters. No idea what they're called. Gallimimus. Gallimimus, totally. Wow. Thank you, Tim. Uh, The third difference was... uh, Tim or Tim? Tim from the movie, not my Tim. (laughs) Uh, The third difference was the motion-based vision of the T-Rex. And I I kept meaning to look up to see whether or not motion-based vision was mainly due to non-stereoscopic animals. But I think frogs exhibit that and they have stereoscopic vision. But I haven't checked it out. Yeah, so the explanation for it is that some lizards and amphibians have that sort of weakness where they detect motion. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. their livelihood is based on motion, right? You need to be able to see that fly and, in order to and, eat it. and track it in order to catch it. Right? right. But, yeah, the idea that, that somehow right. a T-Rex isn't able to see you if you, if you freeze is kind of ridiculous. Mm-hmm. To me, it's a little ridiculous that a, a monster... No, that a creature with that kind of nasal cavity wouldn't be able to smell you from right, right next to you. you. You think? I mean, they might not necessarily process the smell of a human as a potential food source. Well, now that you're now you're assuming that that they process smell through their nose and an olfactory as opposed to a tongue, perhaps like lizards. What through their butts? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> okay, that reminds me of another. The, the T Rex's magic tongue in the, in the movie. I'm not sorry, in the book. That's what she said. Um, 
Ladies and gentlemen, James. <laughs> um, there's a scene where they're hiding behind the waterfall, and the T-Rex finds oh, them and yeah. tries, tries to root them out with his tongue. All right. Um, I'm not sure we know enough about how T-Rex's tongues work for, to know if that was real. But that's another scene that is essentially transplanted into the second film. Because there's, there's a scene where mm-hmm. behind the waterfall, right. and the T-Rex plunges his head into it. Serious. Yeah. yeah. I completely forgot. We're going to have to do it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll have to at least watch it. We don't necessarily have to review it. You really don't want to review it. Okay, I tell you what. Uh, if you're out there listening, all you, you tens of one, ones or tens of people listening to this, right. if you think we should do The Lost World Jurassic Park, then send us some feedback. Find our website, pavementpodcast.com. Go to the contact page, look up social media, and any way you can, let us know that you would like us to add that movie to the list. Yeah, tweet us, Facebook us, email us, comment us. Yes, something. Smoke signals. D, all of the above. Skywriting. Skywriting would be awesome. That would be epic. Maybe we'll have to do it. Let's see. Okay. See, I I, I recall enjoying that book and enjoying the movie, though they're almost completely different. Because when you were talking about the inception of the film and then the sequel, from what I understand, from what I've read, um, Spielberg said, I need a sequel. You've got to write another book. And uh, Crichton said, Okay, fine, I'll write a book and you do whatever you want. And so it's, it's like they, they just developed on two different parallel strings. Because they, they have almost nothing in common. In the and there's a lot more kinds of dinosaurs in the book. And there's some really cool scenes in the book that, that when I saw the movie, I think this is what happened was I didn't like the movie because... At that, it wasn't that, like... Yeah, at that time... It wasn't like the book? Like it, it was a non fable adaptation? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Maybe. Ooh, it's on tape! I've got it! Yes! <laughs> no, no, I, I will fully confess that earlier... In my less mature days, I, <laughs> I I thought, well, it's not a good adaptation if it's not faithful, and and now I've, I've moved beyond that. Now. I think that can be good, but not very faithful adaptations of books. I read books. So. I, I would agree. So so I wouldn't mind going back and watching that film again and reading the book <clears throat> and seeing how I view it now, because yeah, I didn't think much of it. I mean, I liked Jeff Goldblum. I didn't like that they gave him a daughter. I, I guess that's to give him some stakes. He's got seven kids. That's out of the book. Right, yeah. He's always looking for a future uh, Mrs. X. Yeah, Malcolm. X, Mrs. Malcolm. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so, the thing that the kids did in the book, and especially in the film, was they really did kind of raise the stakes for the other characters. Because the kids were in peril, they had to be rescued. And that's totally okay to me. Mm-hmm. It's just, that works the first time. And the second time, it just seemed artificial. Like he's got this adopted daughter, and, and she's in trouble. And she and her friends sneak on board onto the dinosaur exploration yeah, vehicles. Right. And, and and it's just Grant, with the I don't like kids, and his nice character arc towards protecting the kids and sort of softening in, in his views and seeing how tough they were, really. Yeah. Um, that worked with his character. But Ian Malcolm, as, as a protective father... <laughs> oh, not it, even it close. Just, it burns mm-hmm. his character. So let's talk about Malcolm. Pretty much the same between the two media. Right? Yes. Um, other than with some added Jeff Goldblum flavor in, right. in the movie. And, and he was tremendous. Yeah. Um, and I think that, so here's one of the spoilers, right? If you haven't read the book, I can't say stop the podcast and go read it because it's a 100-page book, right? But it's a Michael Crichton book. You can pull off a 100-page read inside of a day. It is true. It, well, Colin could. Okay, buy a pizza. Right. <laughs> get a mocha. Your average Colin could, could, could do that in a day. Your average James, one in a week. Right. Your average Seth, somewhere in between. Two days. 
don't know. I could do that, I suppose. But, you know, we're going to spoil some stuff. There's a difference in what happens to that character. In in both, he gets not mauled by the Tyrannosaurus, but he gets wounded. Right. He, he gets a broken leg and suffers blood loss. And in the book, he gets this bacterial infection. That, is it mentioned in the movie? Or is it just that he's losing blood? I think in the movie, he's just losing blood. Yeah, and he's he high morphine. Yeah, he doesn't right. seem to be infected. Yeah. And so in the book, that gives him a lot of time to monologue. And he interacts with Hammond a little bit and, and, and keeps talking about how, you know, he was right. And, right. And, and there's, there's these great monologues, and yeah, I, I did appreciate them. I appreciated them much more the first time I read the book than the second time. Second time I'm like, yeah, 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 just let me go. <laughs> um, but he eventually succumbs to his wounds in the book. Mm-hmm. And so, but then the movie comes along, and Jeff Goldblum was so tremendous in that role that they went, yeah, no, we, we're going to need him in a future movie. And so, at the, the very beginning of the Lost World Jurassic Park, the book, he's retconned in as his right. death was greatly exaggerated. Yeah. So, and it, it's hard to validate his point of view if they kill him off. Even if your point of view causes you to be, to be right. Right. Because so he, he's saying that really, the whole thing can't work, and it can't work on a variety of ways. One is because you can't control life at the level they're trying to control. Mm-hmm. That's the first part. And the first part, or the second part, is that um, crap happens. It's yes. it's the Malcolm effect, right? And right. that that's kind of more borne out in the illustrations at the beginning of the chapter, where you're starting to see the fractal image and how right. it evolves from these simple line drawings mm-hmm. to these other very complex shapes. Um, I will mention that Michael Crichton seems to love mathematicians. He does. In his other books. I know Sphere, there's another prominent mathematician. And... Some point, well, he's really got a man crush on, on that. <laughs> and these characters that do huge monologues. That's awesome. Yes. There was one in Timeline. Yes, actually. Right, and there was one in Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. So, Sphere, probably some monologue I haven't read that in a long time, and I have no desire to see that movie. <laughs> Maybe Congo. Oh, I hated that movie. I loved the book, though. The book was great. So, I might be able to, at this point, watch that movie just for what it is and enjoy it, but I don't. Well, we've done two two Michael Crichton so far this year. Yeah, so we need we need to put him down for a while and explore other avenues. Yes, and we'll talk about what we're going to be doing next later. Yep. Um, but yeah, Ian Malcolm, very entertaining character, great performance from from Jeff Goldblum. I love it when he taps on the screen and goes, uh, "Excuse me, you do eventually want to have dinosaurs?" And and he has so he's got all those monologues in the book, and a lot of them are toward the end of the book. Yes. And there's some of it at the, at the beginning where he expresses his reservations about it. And he's evidently been on record with some of his reservations before we even meet him. From the very beginning. Yeah. Right. Whereas in the movie, you hear little bits of it toward the beginning. And then the only real significant monologue is around lunch, which nobody eats. I don't know if you guys noticed that. It's one of the no, I noticed that. Yeah. Yeah. No one was a fan very of Chilean. disappointing yes. because it looked like a very good meal. Well, that was right after they fed the raptors, right? And he's like, all right, who wants lunch? Right, which was, which was good. Our um, chef, Alejandro, has prepared us a wonderful... Okay, so amusing anecdote about how I missed the point. Um, and, and don't hear things totally correctly all the time. The first time he said that, I'm like, why would they want chili and sea bass? Oh, oh right, yeah. <laughs> See, I, I would say Chilean sea bass. And he said right. Chilean, Chilean sea bass. bass. Yeah. And, I thought the same thing for yeah. a second, but yeah. because it, but it doesn't make sense to have chili and sea bass. So I was like, he meant Chilean sea bass. Yeah, it would cover up the fish taste. <laughs> yeah, no, I'd still taste. No, it, it reminds me of like the first time I heard of euthanasia. I'm like, what about young people in Asia? As so, <laughs> opposed to youth in Europe. 
youth in South yeah. America. Right. Yeah. All right. So we were talking Chilean about sea bass. Nobody ate their lunch. Nobody ate their lunch. Uh, Malcolm yeah. says, "Well, yes. Now, now that I've seen it, it's even worse than I thought it is. Okay. Uh, horrible things are going to happen just because life finds a way." Yeah. Oh, that great line about scientific responsibility, you know, scientific ethics. You spent yeah, so much time thinking out if you could do it, you didn't spend any time thinking about whether you should. Right. I'm gonna put that clip in. Right. Yeah, but your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could that they didn't stop to think if they should. It's I like that, I like it's that line, though. It's, it's a very good line. It is a good line. It's a great line. Yeah. And I like how they went more into it in the book, too. Definitely. Yeah. It's funny how the certain, a lot of the, uh, the scene, a lot of his, I don't know, tropes or sayings or whatever from the book got worked into the movie, but just in slightly different ways. Mm-hmm. But they were still pretty cool and worked. Yeah. yeah. Like the whole hand in the water thing. Or water in the hand thing. Yeah, for chaos theory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I like the way they did that, actually. Um, where, and this is another thing where the changes are made for the film, just in casting, it yeah. worked. Um, yeah. Where you, you could have him flirting with Dr. Sattler. Right. Which I guess you could have anyway. Yeah. But it would have been creepy. Yeah, it would have been kind of creepy. So, yeah. But they're about the same age. And Wayne Knight as Dennis Nedry. Wow. Is there, was there ever more perfect casting? No. Yes. <laughs> that was fantastic. Can, can I mention, though, your computer geek is named Nedry, which is an anagram of nerdy. nerdy. Right. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, Mr. Crichton, if only you could come back from the grave and tell us if that was on purpose or not. Right. And so here I want to talk a little bit about what I loved about the adaptation. And, and James, you mentioned it, that, that scene at the beginning with Nedry and Dodgson. Oh, right. In the book, there's a lot of setups. Dodging, dodging, you're dodging here. <laughs> I love that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, right. And that's, you know, that's, that's less a great adaptation than just a great performance. Uh, I don't know. Was that in the book? No. I, I didn't think no, Because they met, they met at the SFO report. Okay. And see, that's, that's one of those things where I look at it and I'm like, yeah. I'm like that, that seems ad lib. But... Right. Well, it was funny. When we were watching it, I started laughing before that. Before that scene came out, yeah. And Colin Turner, he looks at me, he's like, "Why are you laughing?" Yeah, so it's a great scene. <laughs> so, but let, let, let me let me talk about a little bit about the book, and it, so it introduces Dodgson and and who he is and mm-hmm. Biosyn, his corporation, and where he actually has to get approval from his board to do these sneaky corporate right. espionage things. Yeah, and th- there's 20, 30 pages. Right. I'm not going to say wasted. Oh, maybe okay, 10, 15 pages. Do I hear five? <laughs> I'll give you five. Okay, there's, but I'm not giving you twenty or thirty. I buy that for a dollar. <laughs> there's there's some amount of ink spent on developing Dodgson, who right. is not very important. Right. He, they 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 want him to have some kind of motive for hiring Nedry to go in and steal these embryos because they are way behind the times on genetic research. And there is this whole uh, genetic research. Backstory as well that there are all these different companies and how it used to be the purviews of governments and now it's happening all in private business because the right. businesses have no ethics and they're willing to do things the governments aren't willing and responsible for and and they have funding yeah because yeah. they can make money off of it but so there's some amount of ink uh, between five and thirty pages uh, <laughs> spent on on developing Dodgson as, look as a character and on sort of giving even the backstory of Nedry and why he's disgruntled and why he's the perfect mark. Right. Whereas then you go to the film, and you have this pretty brief scene at an outdoor cafe someplace uh, in, on the island, I guess. That was or, in Costa Rica. That was in Costa Rica, okay. on the mainland. Um, with Wayne Knight and all his glory, right. and all his rotundity. <laughs> and you, you learn everything you need to know about the motivation and what's going on mm-hmm. in that scene. And it's a brief scene. 
There's no wasted space. Right. It's just, it's, to me, it was just a brilliant adaptation of that whole part. Right. It took a lot more print than... And in case you didn't realize he was having, he was greedy and having financial problems, it was kind of reinforced later too. Yeah. Right. Well, it was reinforced at the end of that scene, right? Don't get cheap on me. That's yeah. that was Hammond's. No, no, I'm talking about later yeah, in, in, the, oh, um, in the park. Right? Yeah, where Hammond actually says, "Look, yeah. it is your problem." Right. Um, but I think four pages. But it must have dragged on horribly long for you. It was the longest four <laughs> okay, pages. Look, okay, here we go. Here we go. I'm, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to explain. I I read the book. Uh, I got it from Overdrive, from the library, and put it on my note. This, this is the colonist right sound. <laughs> That's the only time I get to be right this time. No, but, um, okay, it felt longer to me because it was like four pages to a turn, four clicks to a turn on my note. Four, so, yeah, four uh, physical pages, 20 yeah. clicks. Yeah. Like, oh, more of this? Oh my Can't God. you just tell me? Yeah. No, okay, there's more of it. Okay, fine. All right. That's what and, anyhow, he was much more concise in the film. And film is a much more concise medium. Yeah. So, well, And you take, for example, the whole idea about how the cloning works. That's condensed down into a three-minute okay. animation. Let's talk about that. Oh, um, okay. That's this, this is another thing that I think is brilliant, right? right? Did you want to say something about it? Take it, James. Okay. <laughs> I, I, like the, I like the way they did it in that um, they dumbed down the science mm-hmm. for the masses without necessarily offending the audience of the movie. Yeah. No, that's... Exactly. Yeah. I, I totally agree. Because it's like they made it a kid-friendly presentation. Mm-hmm. They didn't talk down to the audience. It talked down right. to the tour. And so it was plausible. But because you were watching the tour as the movie goes, mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're getting the explanation of the science at the same time. I yeah. think I thought it was kind of a, a brilliant move. I, the only thing that bothered me about that was dinosaur. <laughs> dinosaur? Yeah. That, that Dino was, DNA. Dino DNA, yeah. Bingo. Dino DNA. A little over right. but but I liked it. I liked the execution of that. And yet you had the crosstalk going on where you had the, the scientists go, but where do you get 100 million year old DNA or whatever mm-hmm. in the background? And so you had both sides. You had the sort of dumbed down thing and then the, the skeptical scientist right. professional. Yeah. Um, well, even the paleontologist said, where do you get the 100 million? <laughs> well, and then you move into the next step where Dr. Wu shows up as they talk to um, him and see you know, how they're rotating the eggs and the raptor gets born. And he, he gets to be a little arrogant because he, he's the guy. Oh, you're, you're telling me that a, a population full of females will breed? Mm-hmm. No, I'm simply saying that life finds a way. Yeah. Yes. And if you're dumb enough to use, what was the word? Sexually morphological frog DNA? Oh, uh, no, the word was... Uh... It's the idea that there are certain animals where if the population becomes all one gendered or another that they will spontaneously begin to become the other gender so the population can continue to breed and spread its, right. its genes. Yeah, so this was one of those things that I was uh, I was looking at with the spectrometer VS camera. Yes. Going, <laughs> how does that exactly work? Just because my thinking was, okay, in an environment that is is pretty unisex, does that mean that more offspring will be born of the opposite gender in order to balance it out? Or that somehow adult animals suddenly develop a hoo and, and can uh, can go both ways. Yes. And it turns out it, it seems yeah. like it actually is that, where, where what would otherwise be a female or male turns into mm-hmm. androgynous and able to reproduce the other direction. So, ooh. No, not it doesn't work. Not yeah, baby. <laughs> Hermaphroditic, not androgynous. Sorry, yes. No, 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 no. They actually flip, flip bits. That's not androgynous. Though. Androgyny is the ambiguity of either. Oh, 
Yeah, somehow okay. the um, okay. hermaphroditic would be having both. Which... Well, I don't think they have both. I think they, they flip from A no, to B. No, no, they had three. They had three different cases. One where a female becomes male. Uh-huh. Second being where a male becomes female. Or third being where they take on both. You get both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, anyhow, that scene where they explain the dino DNA is really well executed. Right. And I like that whole tour. So they went to the tour, and then they broke the tour ride and went to the lab. And then after, like, you breed dino, you breed raptors? And then they went from the baby dinosaur to... That's right, yeah. So they went out and actually yeah. saw the raptors. Mm-hmm. And that was a cool scene. Oh, I wanted to double back here. Because then they fed the raptors, then they went and had lunch, but no one ate lunch. Right. Yeah. yeah. But only because they were arguing, not because they watched a cow be shredded. Right. Oh, that would have stopped me from eating lunch. Yeah, but, yeah. Well, yeah. In fact, that would be my lunch. You would have been in the in the cage with them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they... Yeah. Um, I like the way they executed that thing where they didn't show the records. Like, not showing the shark. Yeah. Right. Um, Famous Steven Spielberg, right? Yeah. I, I the bad guys. Yeah, and that, that also, that applies to the beginning of the film, too. Where you have you have the raptor mm. attack there yeah. in the dark, you never actually see it. And I thought what I, I did get clever, like the eye, the stare between uh, yes, yeah, the, the hunter guy, yeah, yeah. And, and there's a little bit of silhouette and as it right. rushes forward, yeah, right. But so, but I like that stare though in the beginning between the raptor and the, the hunter Muldoon, guy. Yeah, what's it? Muldoon, yes. Yeah. I thought that was very foretelling. Actually, sure. so I want to double back to the, that, that beginning scene because when, when that forklift is coming through with the box, you know. When you're first watching, right. you're expecting, oh, this is King Kong coming through the, the forest or whatever, you know, <laughs> right, or, right. Or, or Godzilla or something. Here comes T-Rex. And then, no, 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 it's just having the box. Yeah. Um, I thought that was a cool sort of sleight of hand. Yeah. When you're expecting, he, he's setting you up to expect a dinosaur to burst out of the trees. Right. And instead, it's a dinosaur in the box. And I like that scene, which Schrodinger's is dinosaur. referenced in the book, but um, not explicit. Would that be like Schrodinger's yeah. Velociraptor? Right. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, Velociraptor. <laughs> Which is an actual thing. So, Philosopher? Philosopher. Yes. So it's 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 a picture of a raptor. Show notes. With with yes, I will definitely put some in the show notes. And and awesome. you can find one for every occasion. There's right wing nut job ones. There's left wing left wing wing nut ones. About oh, so you think you know something? Some position that your party holds and why it's idiotic. So okay, you should definitely check it out. It's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yes. it makes me laugh perfectly. Yeah, it's fair and balanced. Philosopher. <laughs> Making fun of all sides. So we were talking about differences between the book and the movie. Yeah. And you had wanted to go back and talk about the opening scene. Oh, yeah, I, I mentioned it. You just, I, yeah. I just thought it was nifty. So, right. We, we should, maybe we should mention, you know, the middle part stays fairly close. Yeah, so the same kind of thing happens, right? There's a storm. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk yeah. about why Nedry died and the effectiveness of his plan. Ah, yes. Both of you guys have mentioned that. I don't remember right. a lot of differences between his plan in the book and his plan in the movie. No, it's not. It's not substantially it, different. There's two docs. It is a, in the book, right? Okay, I was gonna say it is a bit different in my in my opinion. Okay, okay. Because so you got the plan of the book. His plan of the book was to he had an 18 minute window where he could get he could shut down the security system for certain parts of the park, not the Raptors. Right. Even Nedry knew better. Yes, <laughs> yes. Grab a jeep. He he could go into the lab, grab the eggs, take the jeep, go to the dock, drop off the eggs with the, with the guy in the docks, and then be back in the chair. To re-enable the system and... It looked like a they, hero. Yeah, it, looked, it would look like a hero coming back because he would fix the problem he yeah. caused. And nobody would be the wiser to the fact he just smuggled eggs off the island. Yeah. Okay, so let's... But uh, before we... Before we, Okay, go ahead. Well, I was just saying, in the movie, we don't get that clear indication that he meant to come back, I think. 
No, he did. He, he had but I guess maybe he, he mentioned it eighteen yeah, minutes ago. That's right. So he knew that he could he could go and then come back. And right. in the book, he gets lost. Right, and he does in the movie too. It's yeah, much more. I, I love the way they execute that, where he where he runs over the sign and then he can't tell which way right. the arrow is supposed to be pointing, and he spins it. <laughs> yes. um, that was awesome. Yeah, so that's that's a, it's a cool scene. I like the way it was executed in the film. Right. Um, not quite as gruesome as in the book, and this is just sort of in general. The book right. is a little more gruesome than the film. Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the, the film the had passed some fairly strict ratings, and it was made. Kind of like the park to be a family movie. Mm-hmm. It's right. I think it was still PG. Yeah, yeah. You're right. Maybe the plan wasn't that much different. No, it wasn't that much different. But yeah. so in the film, a big deal is made about the storm, mm-hmm. and so that's why they're evacuating people, and that's why there's yeah. time pressure on Ned because all of a sudden he doesn't ah, have okay. 18 minutes. Right. So you got to give him 15 minutes. And the guy's like, no promises. Yeah. And so he's in a hurry, which is why he's driving so fast right. and why he runs off the road. But, but in the book, he actually gets lost. Right. In the movie, he wouldn't have been lost if he didn't right. hit the stupid sign. Yeah. He would have been golden. Yeah. And he had to get out of the car yeah. in the rain right. and fog up his glasses, which you probably experienced. It's, yeah. You're the only bespectacled one. Yeah, it's PG-13. Okay. But I'm trying to think how much sense his plan actually makes in the film. He's got this thing that yeah. will cool them for 36 hours. Mm-hmm. He's already stolen the eggs. If he stuffs that into his jacket and goes back to his desk, and then they evacuate the island... Right. He's home free. So that's like that's one plot hole with the film. Now not necessarily that he would that this would occur to him. Um if he had another co conspirator they probably would have just gone, Hey dude, look, we don't even have to get this down to the dock because we're leaving the island anyway because of the storm. But he, he yeah. might have, he might have not have been one of the evacuees in the it's, movie. It's though. true. Because he would he was supposed to be there to debug the whole system, right? And spend okay, so hours doing that. This is another thing. I want to they might not let him leave, as it were. Michael Crichton's <laughs> grasp of programming and oh, what right. kind of bugs <laughs> you could potentially have in programs. Um, some of it I can bomb off as this is Nedry putting bugs into the code on purpose to serve his purposes. And some yeah. of it was definitely that. But the examples... Well, he, he actually gives examples of some of the bugs and I'm like, no way that code at this stage of a project would have that kind of bug in it. It well, wasn't a bug. In the book, they go more into that, how they build in backdoors. And no, 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 and, and I get that, but I can't, I can't look at that whole list of bugs and go, these are all backdoors. Some of them are... Some of them were just bugs, enough. but yeah, he wrote some code in there, and in, in the book, he tried to count the key clicks so they couldn't tell what he was doing, sure. but they didn't know that they had disabled that part of the code, so they could backtrace everything right. that they did, and then undo it which is something they couldn't do in the movie, which forced the whole need for them to go reboot the system, which went to the generator, and... Yes. And I liked the way that worked. That chain of events made sense. I thought in the book it was a little weak on on them editing the code. I guess I'm assuming that this is somehow script-based, and so making the change in a line would have an effect, and you would have to go and build the code, because... or But but then, you know, Michael Crichton's understanding of coding... Source control and all that kind of stuff. I, right. I don't know how that. <laughs> well, in 1990, though, it's true. So, yeah. can sure 1990 I like. I like. There's this big patch of pseudocode in, in the yeah, actual yeah. book. See, it looks like this. Oh, that was funny. Yeah. Oh, you can't see that. Yeah. It, no, it was pretty weak, though. Uh, it worked the first time I read it, and then the second time, after after knowing a little bit more about programming, this time I kind of look at it and I'm like, oh, "That's the nice you could do. Why, why not just make it in right. C?" <laughs> That's. That's exactly how I felt that time. 
it, timeline yeah. to science and timeline worked for me the first time I read it, but I was also preteen. Jurassic yeah. Science Science worked for me the first time I read it. I was like, small. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So. And now we go back looking at it since we can write right. basic and PHP and Perl and Python and assembly and yeah. PIC and Colin doesn't throw with it. Yes, I do. So I guess if Colin doesn't have major gripes with it, then I'll... You know, people complain about Perl being unbeatable, but <laughs> that pseudocode, that is nasty stuff. <laughs> it looks more like assembly than yeah. anything. It, yeah, it did in a lot of places. Right. Which would make sense if you, of course, you don't have to compile assembly. You might like, cross-link it. But. So anyhow, the, the, the Nedry thing, I like the fact... So in a film, you need to streamline things. You need to, you need to quicken everything up. There yes. And so having the storm come in and having Nedry be panicked mm-hmm. and have to do his, his thing quickly... Made sense to me, um, and turning off the fences, right. and, and I like the I even like the way you know why would you have the fences turning off, and then immediately it cuts to Nedry coming with the fence and pushing it open, right the gate to go in the gate yeah. yes, yeah. and so so it was it was I thought that was good storytelling. No, um, one other thing we didn't mention in the cast, Mr. Arnold, in, in the book is a little generic. In the book, he's incredibly awesome right. because he's played by Samuel L. Jackson. Oh yeah, <laughs> so. I was actually, I was kind of disappointed with the, the, the scene where, where he's smoking yeah. a cigarette and reading through the section of code, and the, the cigarette's jittering up and down to the tone <laughs> of his voice. He's, he's typing in commands that are different than what he's saying. If you actually go back and watch it. Really? Yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, he's, he's security or whatever, and, yeah. and he's typing something completely different. Yeah, it does, yeah. It, does it does, it does look different. It's, it's okay. It's kind of Save. Yeah. Well, that, that, that's what you have to do in, in movies, right? You have people. Well, this is one of my main problems with computer use in films is you're going to enter commands in human-readable format. And so, like, uh, Mission Impossible. Ring Rains is right. a you know, very believable hacker. Right. Um, and he's sitting there on the train, and he needs to send a jamming signal to stop an upload of something. And so he doesn't have a program that lets, lets him push a button or just hit enter or something. He has to type in send jamming signal, enter. And... <laughs> So, you know, to come to... Uh, it, that's, it's, it's art major science, right? It's the science flip side of that are the Matrix movies, where they actually use an SSH exploit in the second movie when she's inside the power station. Very nice. Right. How about endings? Because the endings are pretty significantly different. They are. Yeah. Uh, if, you've, if you've seen the movie, we're, we're now definitely in the spoiler territory. Mm-hmm. The endings are, are really, really different. The spoiler endings... Space, copyright, trademark. Well, there's... The raptor's chasing through the kitchen, kind of like in the... Well, I thought the there were kittens... <laughs> there I, I will put that in the show notes. I <laughs> hoped you would. Yeah. So we, we found a cut where someone put in pictures of kittens acting in place of the velociraptors in that, that kitchen scene where the kids are in the kitchen trying to hide from the velociraptors. Cool. <laughs> and, you know, when the kids are running away and the kitten goes, it's just awesome. Right. So, kittens yeah, are creepy. Dude. Yeah. In, in, in the book, there's this, this sub-scene where um, Grant and the kids... Uh, go floating down that old green river, mm-hmm. and it's green because it's full of dino poo, and they're being chased by one or two T-Rexes, and they end up going behind a, a waterfall, which we've already talked about, mm-hmm. and they find uh, what they think is a raptor nest. Right, yeah, there's that whole scene of dealing with the raptor nest. Mm-hmm. Because the breeding of the dinosaurs is a very significant part of the book that shows that, that Ian is right. You can't control them, and the, the computer systems in the park only did what they were told to do. They didn't do the right thing. So if you were only looking for 289... Yeah, so that was another gripe I had. Forgive me for a book. Uh, uh, yeah, about, about program design. 
I guess I could see somebody shortcutting that, but it's not that difficult. Well, that goes back to that goes back to Nedry's programming skills, right? right. They they were poor. They took shortcuts. He he overbid his project. He either could hit functionality or deadlines, and he hit the deadline, which meant it was full of bugs. Hmm. Okay. And then uh, John Hammond asked him to come back and pay for it to fix it. Nedry wanted to be paid for it. John said no, which gave him the motivation to try and you know screw him over later by selling the embryos and. Yeah. Then, uh, which, that's a huge detail from the book, kind of glossed over in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so let's, I want to follow up on one of the threads that you mentioned. It's the breeding of the dinosaurs. Yeah. It's major in, in the book, because it's the question of, well, if the dinosaurs can breed, what else are they doing? You know, and, and so they, yeah, like you said, they find out there's a lot more dinosaurs on this island than you thought, yeah. because and, we weren't looking for them. And the dinosaurs um, have gotten off. Like, the, the right. initial scene where the little girls attack, that doesn't happen on the island. That happens on the mainland of Costa Rica. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so there's a lot more of the implications of that, where in the film, you still have that happening, but it's really just more of a symptom of the chaos theory thing happening than anything else. Right. It's, it's okay, Malcolm's right, well, what else could go wrong here? And it's already sort of gone. But this brings me to the, the frog DNA thing. Okay. So I have a few problems with this. Um, one of which is, why would you use amphibian DNA if you think that dinosaurs share a common ancestor with birds. Why wouldn't you go that route? Or And we talked about that the other day. Or lizards. Why, so why the, go with amphibians? In the book, they didn't intentionally use that, though. Right. In, in, the, in, the, in the book, they left it up to the supercomputer. Right, that, to figure out what to, figure out what to use. And yeah, because in the okay. Wu, or, so, is it in the Wu? In the book, Wu didn't know what they used. He just, that's right. He, he ended up having to look to find out. Yeah, he ended up having to look to, look to realize that they used raw DNA. Okay. But... So well, why use we use frog DNA because you want them to be able to change gender because it's a controlled <laughs> environment right. and it's going to go wrong. Okay, but there's no other reason. Yeah, yeah, because the plot sets up. Maybe. Yes, right. Um, and in, but, in the movie, it was a complete, you know, it was a a, a convenient uh, plot point. Yeah, and it works to use but, that. But the idea that somehow throwing in some random bits of frog DNA makes them all gender swapping to me doesn't. That doesn't work with my understanding of genetics. And it, it's very layman level. But my understanding would be that there would be particular sequences that would allow for that kind of stuff. And to me, it's strange credulity to say that all of these dinosaurs that that happened to were missing that same sequence that got plugged in. Because just putting random bits in there... But only seven of them were, right? I mean, in the, in the book, anyway. Okay, five, fine. Five, five, out of how many species? Fifteen? Thirteen. Thirteen? Okay. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's not... Five of them or something, yeah, I think? That's, that's uh, not a random right. distribution. Yeah. So, that, yeah, they find out that five of the dinosaurs, there's more dinosaurs than, than it should be there, which tells mm-hmm. them that they're breeding. Yeah. And then later, Wu goes back and he says, well, which five are they? And he cross-indexes it. Yeah, they all receive the same raw DNA. Right. Which, right. So does that mean they, this is my question, do they receive the same sequence? Or is this some emergent phenomenon? Because if they, if they had five or more strands of DNA or, you know, codes, do they somehow right. recombine and... I think that would depend on how much, how much of the, how much of that sequence did you, did you need to actually trans, uh, transfer genders? Right? Yeah, yeah. So I don't totally buy it, but uh, I'm willing to accept it just in terms of right. suspending disbelief. Yeah, I, I don't remember them going into detail whether it was random or deterministic, but mm-hmm. I think we've been in situations where we have learned a solution for fixing something and we use it again and again and again. And sure. what it reminds me of right. is a guy said, oh, well, we have this one strand of missing DNA, and oh, you know, I want that strand out of Rana, and it happens to be right. the, the one that sure. deals with, 
you know, sexual gender swapping. Yeah. And then like, oh, well, this dinosaur has the same problem. So I'll use, you know, I figured this out. I don't have to go reinvent it. I can use it again. Okay. And, you know, in programming, they call that copy-paste error. Yes. Yeah. Do not reuse. Do not reinvent the wheel. It's, it's recursion. Yeah. <laughs> to understand recursion, one must understand, one must understand recursion. Yes. <laughs> Nerd humor. Um, okay. So let's move on. So what else do we want to talk about? We talked, the ending is definitely different. Yeah. And so, this but is awesome. one of those things. Yeah. Yes. No, I mean, I love the way it works in the movie, but this will make it so that if you haven't read the book by now, yeah, we've spoiled some of it. But it's going to reward a read-through. Sure. Because it's different enough at the end. Yeah. Um, you might not like the characters as much if you're attached to the film characters. So, so I would say if you haven't recently seen the film and you've never read the book, I'd say read the book and then go watch the movie. Definitely. I think watching the movie first will, will color your impressions a bit. All right, let's talk some some trivia things. I wanted to talk about the effects and, and, oh. and some of the behind-the-scenes stuff that I've seen. Initially, they were going to go with a kind of stop-motion animation. Yeah. Because they talked about the stop-motion animation like in Jason and the Argonauts. I don't, have you ever seen that one? Yeah. Um, it's really cool. Harry Housen? Yeah, Harry Housen. Yeah. yeah. And it's very cool. It's not very believable. And the reason is because there's no motion blur. And so... This guy went back in and figured out how to add motion blur to stop motion animation, and he called it go motion. I think. Yeah, Phil Tippett. Yeah, and so he had he he put that kind of stuff together, and it seemed believable-ish to Spielberg. That like I think he said it fooled his kids. Yeah, but but it just wasn't <laughs> nice. wasn't good enough, and so eventually he had the ILM folks take a look and see what they could do, and so there's a mixture in the film. Practical effects and CG. Do you know uh, which was which? I do know a couple of scenes that were like the okay. the scene, the main T Rex scene, where it comes in and it's like interacting with the car. Okay, there's a lot of practical effects in there. Animatronics, yeah. puppets, yeah, and and so it's you know it's moving the car around and, and you know it reminds me of that dude's question and it's in the movie. They asked the paleontologist which one. The uh, guy said he heard that. Uh, Top of the car wasn't really supposed to break, but it did during production. Oh, that was a strange question. Did it add to the <laughs> acting of the children? And I'm like, dude, this guy wasn't involved in movie production. What's wrong with you? Well, yeah. and if you watch some behind the scenes stuff, <laughs> uh, the collector's edition DVD, which I recommend unless you get it from the Washington County Public Library with all the scratches on it. <laughs> um, uh, Steven Spielberg talks about how when the dinos- when the T Rex attacks, the glass is supposed to fall down and then get caught inside. So the kids become scared, but are protected from the dinosaur. Uh, so that was oh. <laughs> by design yeah. to do that. Yeah. Awesome. Um, okay. It, and that is just a terrific scene. That 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 whole right. That whole thing. But um, yeah, that was cool. Well, now that we're on it, let's talk about this. This is what we're doing. We're just following rabbit trails. Sorry. Um, no, it's fine. White rabbit object. You know, I'll podcast. I'll go. No, white rabbit object. Um, <laughs> he turns off. Wow, you guys just totally lost me. <laughs> Is my key click going down here? Yes. Those are quotes from the movie right? and from the book about how he key click off. Like how he's turned the white rabbit object? object? And the white rabbit object. Okay. White rabbit yeah. object. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just did you mention white... a rabbit trail? Yes, yeah. I did, actually. <laughs> funny, funny you should mention it. Follow the white rabbit. dinosaur. <laughs> if I do that again... <laughs> click it. Well, there, there was the amusing, let's flee a car that is falling down a tree. Oh, on the same path right. of the car. It's, it's the Prometheus school of running away from things. You just run in the same direction and follow. But, you know, it never occurred to me when, when I saw the movie that that kind of, that, that gripe 
And so seeing it this time, I was able to sort of look at it and go, well, why didn't you just, like, step to the right and let the car fall? Well, Grant started right. off to the right. Timmy was underneath it, and so he went down to save Timmy. Yeah. That was the only reason he came back in. Although, telling Tim to climb around the edge of the tree when the car stopped three times might have been a pretty good idea. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, but, but not it, half as exciting. No, no, and it's it's such an exciting scene. And even even I the, think they they climbed they they plot climbed. There is sure. climbed. Yes, cars yeah. fall out of trees at the speed of plot. So yes. I haven't figured out, you know, and, and I've seen this in a couple of videos pointing out errors in the movie. And one of them is the T Rex steps out of its paddock onto the road. Okay. At the same level. I think I know where you're going. Yeah, and then they get out of the everybody gets out of the car, and they're lowering themselves down this cliff. Mm-hmm. To get the, into the Tyrannosaurus pad. I noticed the same thing when one we just watched that oh, movie. I yeah. thought about that as the as the car was going over and they were climbing over. Mm-hmm. I thought to myself, I'm like, did the T-Rex step down? So what I'm, the way I'm <laughs> retconning it in there is there's a moat, and the T-Rex just had long enough legs to step over it. Out oh. of, out of with the a path. tree growing up out. <laughs> yeah. The only way I can think it makes sense is if every time I remember seeing it, I think I remember seeing the paddock where everything is at at you know, ground level, so to say. Yeah. But I don't remember seeing. The, and it's in a semicircle. Uh-huh. I don't remember seeing the center of the semicircle, which I think yeah. is the other side of the road. Which yeah, because they, did, they did have the, the goat was at and ground, ground level. Yeah. So maybe they moved over just a little bit. Yeah. And, and there, there's a cliff there. Yeah. Whatever. I'm willing to forgive because it was an awesome scene. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that and the, the tremors inside the footprints. Okay, so I wanted to talk about that. Okay. Um, there's the tremors inside the footprints, but the first time we see that kind of thing, it's in a cup. In a cup, you know, in a, mm, a water inside cup. the water cup, yeah. Well, he wanted that effect, and they had such a hard time coming up with it. Yeah, yeah. They just—it it wasn't as easy to do as they thought. So you know, like they jump up and down inside the car and try to get, try to get it to do it, and they couldn't do it. And the effects guys are like, "Yeah, yeah, we can, we can do it. We can figure it out." And they kept noodling on it and couldn't figure it out. And one of the effects guys was at home, and he had a guitar, and he plucked the string, and he he's just kind of like, "Huh, interesting sort of." just the way it vibrates. And so he put a cup of water on it, plucked the string. Sure enough, there's that perfect effect that he wants. Oh, wow, really? And wow. so they actually fed That's a guitar cool. string in through that part of the car, underneath the car, and in order to get the effect, they had somebody down there plucking the guitar string to make that happen. <laughs> I don't know how they did it then in the in the Tyrannosaurus footprints, but presumably they might have done it the same way. That's awesome. So, <laughs> yeah. The lengths that effects guys will go. Right. Well, there was a little bit of Foley artist mm-hmm. in the Collector's DVD as well, so it talked about how you know, they imitated all the effects. Mm-hmm. And the effect for the soft, the soft spongy tissue inside the egg was for like a papaya where she was like mashing it up with her hand with an extra microphone. And nice. So thank you, Foley artists. Yeah, I dig that stuff. So part of the reason that the ending was different was Spielberg actually had a different ending written up. But at some point he realized the T-Rex was his hero. And, oh. and I, I totally, I, I like what he did. I'm like, yeah, that mm-hmm. makes sense. Even though, of course, every other time when we see the T-Rex, he's, he's loud, approaching, and at the end he sneaks up on the raptors. Yeah. But, you know, I'm willing to let it go because it was cool. Yes. So, although he kind of jumps out of the, the bushes so like the way chasing the Jeep. That attack tracks with how he would have actually hunted in the right. life of the... Yeah, suddenly lunging and yeah. getting something. They were, they were lunge artists. Yeah, he lunged out to the Galilinus, and then he, he, he comes, out, comes running out of the woods again after the Jeep. Oh, but th- they saw impact tremors. That's right. Yeah. I'm fairly alarmed here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> faster, must go faster. Yes. Get off the stick! Yeah. And then that great iconic shot, objects in the mirror are closer than they appear. I need to that find that awesome. far side comic, because I'm not sure if that's a reference to the far side, 
But there's a famous oh, yeah. uh, Farside comic yeah. where, where it shows a rearview mirror like that with an eyeball that fills the entire mirror. So while we're at the movie, I'm laughing at that and I'm pointing it out to my son and he's like, what, what is that? What is that? And he's trying to get me to explain it to him during the movie. I'm like, shut up, watch the movie. So I can explain it to him later. Um, he's like, but why would it say that? And I explain, well, so that you don't change lanes and hit a car. Right. Yes. Yeah. D- doesn't your mirror have that writing on it? Huh? Yeah. Yeah. And, well, yes. Yeah, it's so that the car maker can't be sued for you hitting somebody when you change lanes. Yes. Well, he's not the lawnmower to trim your edges. Yes. Well, but you actually got to the ending, then. I guess we did. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so so one one movie oh, mistake so. that that uh, that I actually noticed was when Nedry was stealing the embryos. A couple of the names were misspelled. Oh, really? Yeah. Like I thought Sarah you were going to mention the fact that he was touching things that had been immersed in liquid nitrogen to keep them cold with his bare <laughs> hands. Yeah. Yeah. There's that. There's that too. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. I think. Yeah. I think we're about right. Yeah. Um, very nice. Uh, so. We ranked them. I think James and I went movie book. Yeah. And Colin, you're going book movie. Book movie. You know you're wrong, right? <laughs> it's a great adaptation, even with differences. <laughs> Dinosaurs did die at 8 o'clock in the morning. There were no clocks evident, but it was in the morning, so I'm willing to credit them that. Okay. Uh, the, the changes to the book make for a good movie. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you could make a completely faithful adaptation. I'd, I'd love to see a director's cut with all the extra things put back into it. Uh, I'd also love to see a commentary, because yeah. just the idea about why they made the changes they did. Uh-huh. Why give him that story arc where he doesn't like kids? Why, um... It, it's to make him sympathetic. But we already liked him. You didn't have to make him sympathetic. He's the main character. Yeah, but I think... I don't know. To me, I've already... I've already I'm on record as saying that all the changes make perfect sense to me. Right. Yes. It, ma- it makes him a hero. In yeah. the book, he wouldn't have been a hero. There wouldn't have been a hero in the movie besides... Well, no, but he, he is the hero. <laughs> he, he is the hero in the book because most of the action involves him. Yes. Right, but but none of that similar action was in the movie. Like, he, right, he, but, he didn't kill Velociraptors. Well, you could have him do that. Well, him. there weren't extra Velociraptors to kill. There were only three. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. Things were pared down. And we saw far fewer species in the film than in the book. And... They did allude to more species. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah, so one of the other things uh, that we have talked about on our Palin Comics was the sizes of some of the dinosaurs were off. Oh, and right. this was one of the regrets of the Palin College, too, because the, the raptors in the film mm-hmm. are much larger than actual raptor specimens that you uncovered. Their body stuff. type was different, too, that's what he was saying. They're in, the, in, the, in the movie, they're stockier, like thicker, yeah. looking dinosaurs. And then yeah, he said they were more like Utah raptor, which is a larger raptor type. Of, right, which wasn't a boss raptor. No. Yeah. No. And then the Dilophosaurus? Yeah. Dilophosaurus is smaller. much smaller enough. Well, it has to fit in the gene. Right. Well, it has, yeah. to, has to be small enough for Nedry not to be terribly intimidated yeah. by it, so he can say, no wonder you went extinct. I posit that it's a juvenile, and that's why it's smaller. Is it, it the, and the other one? one? I'm going to run yeah. with that. Oh, were there two of them, or was it one that sneaked around and then got into the... I, think, I thought it was he, one. He was in the doorway. Of the jeep, there's no way they could have snuck around. It had to sneak in while he was out. Yeah, yeah, because he got that second blast of dinosaur fuel on his face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So there's there's the frontal attack. And there's no, two I, blasts yeah, I get what you're saying. I, I could see how there could be two. I just always thought there's just one. It, it's plausibly one, but yeah. it looks one too. Before we sign off, but uh, 
I'm, I'm trying to wrap my, my, my brain around not liking the movie more than the book. What, what is it that causes that? Uh, what mental pathology is there involved here? The difference between the movie and the book reminds me of the difference between uh, great fast food and a great meal. The movie is great <laughs> fast food. The movie is great fast food, right? It's high intensity. Uh, it's, an, it's an action thriller. The book slows things down quite a bit. Right. It's like a five-course meal instead of, you know, getting your burritos at Chipotle. See, to me, the book is a nice restaurant with pretty lousy service. Where the movie <laughs> is a really nice movie, and you get all your food and everything perfect. Not, not quite. <laughs> for, for you, right, the first time you read it, I think you'd agree with me perfectly. But the second time you read it, you, you remembered things so well that you didn't want to wade through it a second time. Where you, you thought there were 30 pages Sorry, I'm shaking my dinosaur at you. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't honestly, totally agree with that because the first oh. time I read it, of course, I was at a different place where my thinking was: okay, if you don't have everything in the movie that was in the book, then it's not a good movie or it's not a good adaptation. Where now I can look at it and I'm like, but all the changes it made were good and needed to be made, and that, so that's that's where I would come down. I'm like everything that was done to streamline the plot was necessary and better as a movie. Because if it was necessary and better, then the person who edited that book should have made those changes as well, and we would okay. have a different book. I agree, but but so then then that's the guy. It's the YA edition. So here's here's where I would the way I would rate a movie versus a book. Okay, you take the same source material. Uh, obviously, you're weighing an adaptation against the original. But if the adaptation to me improves the product, even though it's a different medium, I'm I'm going to favor the movie. And to me, it, it improved on the book. I didn't feel it was dumbed down. I thought it was improved. We don't have to agree. No, we don't. We, we, we have a long laundry list of things we don't agree on. Yes. <laughs> it makes our run slow. Colin, why don't you tell us what we're doing next? Well, next, we've already done it. We, have already, well, we haven't recorded it. No, but we've already read the book and seen the comic book and went out to watch the movie almost all together. Sure. And so the next time we get together and meet, which will be in somewhat longer than one week, we will do... Uh, All You Need Is Kill, which was adapted into the Tom Cruise movie, Edge of Tomorrow. Yes. And I'm not sure, I mean, yeah, we all, we all read the graphic novel, we all read the book, we yeah. all watched the movie. You guys watched it together, I watched it with my son. Schedules didn't quite match up, but right. that is okay. Sure. Um, I'm actually going to go back and read the book again before we talk about it. Cool. So, right. what, what I would request is you go onto our website, pavementpodcast.com, and look at the podcast queue, and look down that list, and there's something, if there's something on there that you think you should move up, in priority, then I'm open to that suggestion. Or if there's something that's not on there, but that is fairly classic, you know, film from the 60s, 70s, maybe 80s. Okay, we've we got to wrap this up. Give um, us a blessing, Seth. So, uh, for any of you out there who are still with us after all our meanderings through Jurassic Park, the film, and the book, thank you for listening, and take care. We will see you next time, and until then, may the road rise up to meet you, and may the book always follow the way you left God help us when the hands of engineers. Put your head down between your knees. And kiss your ass goodbye. (laughs) 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 Little character consolidation. I need something for the new for real, so way to go me. Fairly alarmed here. I'm going to cut that up. Makes me sound like more. And no wonder you're extinct. (laughs) We're gassy. When you gotta go, you gotta go. Well, thank you very much for listening to us ramble in... Pass gas. Directions. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do that again because 
We've got out all 30. That is one big pile of s***. Dino. Dropping, dropping, 